We uh, spoke last week about the discipleship of community, uh, how, as in the civil rights movement, when it came to fighting the racist busing system, every individual African American had zero power, but when they got together, they individually and collectively had magnificent power, so it is in the body of Christ, so it is throughout creation. But for that to happen, everyone has to have buy-in to the whole and realize Nash's equilibrium, that uh, what's good for you individually is what's good for the whole, what's good for the whole is what's good for you individually. Uh, This morning I want to speak on the discipleship of the mind. And I don't think there's a more fundamental, foundational, rock-solid principle I could speak on than this one, for reasons that will become clear. And before I even read the text, I want to pray. Father, make this word come alive. You've come to set the captives free, and I pray, Lord God, that this morning captives would be set free. Even those, Lord God, who are freed from the consequence of bondage and sin, Lord, we yet live to a large degree in bondage, set us free. I pray, Lord God, that lies would be melted away and truth would be erected in our minds. And God, that we would be walking in the truth and the reality of your lordship in our life as you created us and saved us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three verses here. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not... Conform to the pattern of this world. Now, the, the word, uh, the, the phrase, conform to the pattern, is uh, in Greek one word. And you see the word uh, schema in there. It's a schematizo. We, we, we derive our word scheme from it or schema from it. And, what, and the prefix there is sin, which means together with. And so what Paul is saying is don't scheme according to the scheme of the world or perhaps even more pointedly, don't let your schema, the pattern of your life, conform to the pattern of the life in the world. Don't loop your schema, the pattern of your life, into the schema of the world, the pattern, the matrix of the world. But be transformed, metamorpho, which means metamorphosis. So he's saying don't be metamorphosized or but be metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. And when you do that, when you have broken from the pattern of the world, and when you have been transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve. And the basic concept there is experience for yourself. Then you'll experience for yourself what God's will is for your life and through your life towards others. And it is what is good, it is what is pleasing, it is what is perfect. But so long as you're conformed to the pattern, the scheme of the world, you'll never see it, you'll never experience it. Second verse is from 2 Corinthians, where Paul just notes that the God of this age, referring to Satan, the adversary, Hasatan in Hebrew, the Satan has, uh, is, is the God of this age, or the God of this world, or the God of this epoch, and he has blinded the minds of those who are perishing. There's mass deception going on. And in contrast to that, Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 32, you shall know the truth. The word truth in Greek, aletheia, means to uncover, to expose, to bring out of hiding. You shall know what is uncovered, and it will set you free. So the only two questions I want to ask this morning is, what is the matrix? And are you willing to take the red pill? At last. Welcome, Neil. As you no doubt have guessed, I am Morpheus. It's an honor to meet you. No. 
The honor is mine. Please, come, sit. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole, hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Ironically, this is not far from the truth. Do you believe in fate, Neil? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. I know exactly what you mean. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. I don't endorse movies like I don't endorse, endorse politicians, though I'll use either if it will advance the kingdom. Um, there's some over-the-top violence in this film, uh, although it never happens to real people. It's, it's to, to virtual people, so there's no blood, so that's some redeeming value. But this is actually 
one of my favorite movies of all time, just because of its uh, profound uh, Christian message. Uh, Neo takes the red pill, and he goes down the rabbit hole, and he discovers reality, truth. And the truth is, turns out this. Human beings are actually cocooned in a vat, or in individual vats that are controlled by an artificial intelligence that is harvesting them to use the energy of their bodies so they can run on it. They feed off of humans. Now, to keep human beings under control, they put all sorts of probes into our brain and control the neurological activity in our brain, which therefore creates a virtual holographic reality that we live in. We think we're in the real world, but really we're cocooned in a vat and our bodies being used for energy. The people, humanity thinks it's the year 2000, but it's really the year 2300. They get up every day, they go to work, they go to church, they do their things, but as a matter of fact, all of that's an illusion created by the stimulation of neurons in our brain. Uh, The movie, as I said, has all sorts of Christian symbolism in it. The idea of being in bondage is certainly there. This mass matrix that we're part of. The matrix is this illusory reality, this, this network of, uh, of stimulation that creates this, this sense of reality. And uh, Neo, is the, the, the word means new. He's, he's the one who's going to bring the new reality, which is to wake people up from this cocooned vat reality, this illusionary matrix reality that they're a part of. Uh, Morpheus, the man he's talking to here, Morpheus was the god of, the ancient Greek god of sleep and transformation. And the idea here is that you're transformed by waking up from your sleep, from a dream. They go on a ship called the Nebuchadnezzar, and those of you who know your Bible know that that's, Nebuchadnezzar was the ancient Greek, uh, the the, the king of Babylon. And uh, he went through a tremendous metamorphosis in order to see the truth of a prophecy that was spoken on, uh, spoken of him. The license plate on this uh, ship, incidentally, is Mark 3.11, which if you read it, is about setting the captives free and how Jesus came to deliver us from demons. And, and, and throughout the movie, Neo is referred to, incidentally, as Jesus Christ in a number of places. In fact, his real name is Mr. Anderson, and Anders is the, the Greek word for humanity, so his name basically means son of man. He comes onto this ship and meets a woman whose name, incidentally, is Trinity. And uh, he's betrayed by a man who, uh, uh, his name is Cypher, uh, which sounds a little bit like Lucifer. Lucifer, he's a Judas Satan figure. Uh, Neo at one point dies, but he's resurrected by the kiss of the Trinity. And now he's equipped to master the Matrix and free humanity from their bondage, which presumably will happen in the sequel, which I'm not looking forward to at all, because sequels usually stink. Uh, and I like the first so much, I, I don't want to ruin it, don't ruin it. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. It, it, it's an incredible uh, movie. Now, here, here's what makes the movie really interesting, is that it's almost plausible. Now, to understand why it's almost plausible, I need to talk about the brain a little bit. Now, if you're visiting here uh, for the first or second time, you, you need to know about this, about Woodland Hills. We don't brag on this, we don't put it in the newspaper or anything, but we're an exceptionally smart church. It's just the way it works. <laughs> And I, you know, I, it's, it's just fact, you know. Uh, last week was a little on the light side, but as I recall, we talked about quantum physics and emergent property theory and complex adaptive systems theory, uh, all as a way of, of sort of uh, flushing out Nash's uh, equilibrium to discuss the Imago Dei, which reflects the usness of God's nature. Was I right? It was kind of a light week. But this week, we're going to go a little deep, and we're going to talk about neuroscience. Neuroscience and, and uh, as a way of understanding the matrix. 
as a way of understanding how it works, what it is, and who controls it. See, the movie's almost plausible because what is real is that everything you're seeing around you right now, including me talking to you right now, is actually a chemical reaction between your ears. Uh, you are, strip, strip away your skin, and what you are is a brain with eyes. Your four pounds and noodles, a network of neurons, there you go. We're not really pretty when you, take, when you get cut, go beneath the surface. And your whole sense of reality is the, the created uh, holograph that is composed of the network of neurons uh, that, are, that, that are going off all the time in your brain. Every color you see, every shape that you see, every word that you hear, every perhaps smell that you smell, every sensation that you sense, it's really a chemical reaction in your brain. Your whole sense of reality is an inference based on the chemical reactions in your brain. Uh, you infer that I'm out here talking to you, but as a matter of fact, if you're sophisticated enough, you could create this whole hologram just by stimulating the neurons without anything going into your eyes whatsoever, or your ears, or your nose, or, or, or any kind of sense. Now, the brain is, is uh, a network of neurons. A neuron is composed of an axion with a, a synapse and dendrites at the end, and it really is a channel for electromagnetic currents, and all, your whole sense of reality is the combination of these electromagnetic currents in your brain. These these things fire on one, one another in patterned ways, in ways that we've been conditioned to have them patterned. And all the meaning that you're getting out of my sentence right now is, is the result of the fact that every word has a distinct network of neurons that is accessed by the jiggle of the airwaves going into your eardrums, jiggling the eardrums, going through your nervous system, activating the neurons in your brain. Every single word that I just said uh, activates a different neuron, and every color activates a, a different network of neurons. Every smell activates a different network of neurons. And your total sense of reality right now, including your beliefs, including how you feel, including your memories, including your hopes, is the chemical combustion of these neurons acting on one another. Here's a picture of one of these neural nets being acted up. This is a neural net of fear. Um, you know, what, it, what, what, it, what, it, what it's experienced on the inside is whatever it is this person's afraid of. Maybe it's the meaning of dogs, or maybe it's the meaning of, of nuns, and that was one of mine. Uh, and uh, so what you see at, at, at an instant, like an, in an instant is the picture of maybe a childhood experience with a nun or a dog. And, uh, but this is what it looks like on a CAT scan as you're looking at it from the outside. It's a chemical combustion. Now, your brain is born with a hardwire mostly in place, so it gets completed in the first year. This is, this is what you really look like on a microscopic level with the four pounds of noodles between your ears. That's the hardwiring. You're a network, okay? This is your matrix, if you will. Uh, but the programming of this hardwiring occurs through the experience of our life. We give meaning to things. We, we, we decide. We come to know what is real, what is life, what is good, what is not good. We come to, uh, to know those things by the experience of our life. It's given to us from the, wor uh, from the world. And here's what's one of the most amazing things about the brain is its resiliency once it locks in on something. Once you decide what something is and what it means and the appropriate way to feel about it, uh, the neural net is established like water running down a hill. It finds a groove, and the deeper the groove goes, the, 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 the more likely it is that water will keep on running down that hill. So also, our, when we lock in on what something means and what it is, we don't have to keep on thinking about it. Now, the beauty of that is it enables us to learn a lot in this world. Uh, you don't have to look up every word I'm, I'm speaking right now because you automatically, without trying, know it. You access it instantaneously. The brain has a strong autopilot system. It's robopathic. It operates mechanically. The chemical reactions just go the way that you've learned for them to go, and you don't have to keep on relearning things, which is why we can accumulate so much knowledge. And it works wonderful when you're, when you're operating on accurate information, 
but it operates to our disadvantage when you're operating on bad information. But it's all a chemical reaction in your brain. So you see, it's almost plausible that right now, as I'm sitting up here, standing up here talking to you, I'm really not standing up here at all, and you think you're in a church, but you're not in a church at all, and you think that you're 25 years old, but you're not 25 years old at all. You think the earth is 4 billion years old, but it's not 4 billion years old at all. It's just possible that you're on some planet, and, and some alien force took over you on that planet, and now they're doing a scientific experiment in your brain, and your brain is really in a vat, and they're stimulating the neurons to create this incredible illusion. And it all started four minutes ago, but they created in you the sensation of a memory, and, and you think that it's been going on for years and years and years. This whole thing is one giant illusion. It's almost plausible. In fact, I would say not only is it almost plausible, but in a certain sense, it's actually close to the truth. It's actually close to the truth. Because the reality is that we are, to a large degree, in bondage to an alien force. Now, I don't like conspiracy theories. I don't buy into conspiracy theories. I think they're mostly a waste of time. Uh, you know, all of, you know, who's taking over the world and whatever. But this is the true one, folks. There's a force out there. An alien force. He's called Satan. He's gotten control of the world. He's the god of this age and the principality and power of the air. And to a large degree... He keeps us in his vat by stimulating our neurons in ways that he desires, but not in conformity with truth. Here, here's, the, uh, here's the whole story. We are created in the image of the triune God, and one of the ways that we manifest that, that, that triunity is the fact that we have a spirit dimension to us, a soul dimension to us, and a body dimension to us. Our spirit is sort of this, this a part of us that can't be reduced to matter. You are more than the, a brain with eyes. There's a spirit dimension to you. And in fact, some of the cutting-edge stuff being done in neuroscience right now is suggesting this. There's an aspect of human beings, an ability that we have to uh, control our mind that they can't account for on a strictly neurological basis, though they haven't figured it out yet, and they won't figure it out yet because it's not quantifiable. But uh, we are spirit, we are transcendent. But we are also soul, suke in Greek. We get the word psychology from it. And that refers to our thoughts and that refers to our feelings. And those things are, are networked into our brain. So we are spirit, we are soul, and we are also body. And presumably you already know what the body is. Now in God's design, God wants to be Lord over our spirit. Here's, here's how God intended this thing to work. The brain is a beautiful, wonderful, marvelous thing when it's operating according to God's design. God wants to be Lord over our spirit, our innermost being, our heart. As we submit to him then, he designed it so that our spirit is Lord over our brain. We would be telling ourselves what life is, what is real, what is good, what is not good. That, that's the job of our spirit, to take captive our thoughts, to, to be telling our brains, to, to be programming this incredible network of computers. Every neuron is kind of like a computer. Your brain is like the world wide web uh, between your ears. And our job is to program that in, in, in conformity with God's will. So God is over our spirit. Our spirit is over our, our soul, our mind, our thoughts, our feelings. And our thoughts, our feelings are to be over our body. We're, we're, we're wired so that our body moves according to felt motivation. And so our body would be obeying our mind, which is obeying our spirit, which is obeying the Lord. And then we'd impact the world. And see, this is how God wants to be Lord over the world through us. He wants to be Lord over all creation, but he wants to do it through mediaries. And our job is to maintain the lordship of God over this world by coming into gruity with him. But because we're not robots, we are people, it has to be chosen. 
And as many of you know, at least we from the primordial past and yet today chose to get out of sync with God's design rather than to remain in sync with God's design. In fact, by choosing to believe a lie, we have fallen under the, uh, under the deception of the one who has been a liar from the beginning, Jesus says in John chapter 8. And so the world we live in is largely a lying world, an illusory world, and we believe a lot of lies. Here's Satan's design. Satan is the cosmic pervert. The word pervert it comes from the Latin perversio, which means to turn upside down, to just twist totally around. Satan reverses everything, so it works the opposite of how it's supposed to work. He's the god of this age and the principality and power of the air. And in 1 John 5, it says he has control of the entire world. There's a polluting influence that is everywhere. He uses that authority in the world to communicate through our bodies, to impact our bodies, a lies. He impacts our bodies, which then stimulates our mind, just as God wired it to. So we, we, we get programmed in the wrong way, and then we tell ourselves what is real. Our brain tells our spirit what is real, what is true, who is God, what, is, what life is all about, what is reality. But now it's not in conformity with God's authority. It's in conformity with Satan's authority. And it can happen in big ways. It can happen in small ways. It can happen in intentionally evil deeds. It can happen in in relatively innocent deeds. But in a fallen world where there's a polluting influence, we get programmed with the wrong messages. For example, take some, there's a trillion different examples you could use, but uh, there's a, a young lady who's watching a, a television show with her parents, and at the age of five, she's watching a new, newscast, and she sees a plane crash. They report a plane crash, and in 99,999 cases out of 100,000, that would go in one ear and out the other. But in this one case, for whatever reasons, the mind's way too complex to ever totally figure this out, she draws the conclusion. She develops a a, a network of neurons that now will always fire when the concept of plane is introduced, which says, protect yourself from planes, they are dangerous. Never ride in planes. Now that becomes part of her automatic pilot. The brain actually processes 3,000 pieces of information a second, though you're only conscious of five to seven of them. So she's not conscious of why she's afraid of planes, but the rest of her life she's afraid of planes. Even though she intellectually knows consciously that she shouldn't be afraid of planes, they're actually safer than cars to drive. Nevertheless, she feels, she feels afraid of it. A young lady is sexually abused by her brother. She draws the conclusion like that. Her brain, which is still operating according to God's design, uh, says, I have to protect you from men. Men are dangerous. And so she develops a strategy for always maybe looking as unattractive as possible or sabotaging relationships or whatever. And now that becomes part of her autopilot. The chemical reaction, whenever the outside stimulus is there, boom, the chemical reaction occurs. The, 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 the network of neurons is entered, and she feels a fear towards men. Now, on a conscious level, she wants to have relationships with a man. You know, she's got the, the normal urge to have a, a relationship with a man. And yet, for some reason, she can't figure it out because it's operating too fast. Her brain's working too good against her. She sabotages those relationships or finds another way to destroy them. Or you grow up in a home where, where you're just taught explicitly or implicitly. You know, you draw the conclusions. You're programmed this way to believe that your worth as a human being is found in pleasing your parents or impressing your parents. And now you live the rest of your life, that becomes part of your autopilot, and you live the rest of your life trying to impress important people. And intellectually, you know that you don't need to be doing that. You're not really a milk toast anywhere else. But whenever important people come around, boom, you just feel like this is what you're supposed to do. And because you're wired for your body to operate on, on the basis of felt motivation, that's how you normally behave. 
You see, it's, it's the matrix of lies that are working against you, and it's all around. The pattern of this world, the matrix of this world, the schema of this world is the total package of lies we've been conditioned to believe. Lies about what is life, lies about what is real, lies about what our worth is, lies about what is good, lies about what is evil. All of it is a variation of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil found in Genesis 3. Because all of it's about a judgment. The judgment is that you're not okay as you are. Living in union with God is not enough. If you're going to live, get fullness of life, there's things you've got to do, things you've got to acquire, ways that you've got to look. And this is how the enemy keeps us in bondage. We never get around to experiencing full worth, never get around to experiencing full life, but we believe the lie that if only we did this and if only we looked like that, then we'd have full life. And it's all around us. It permeates, as Morpheus says, as, as the one whose job it is to wake us uh, from the dream says. It's all around us. It's in the air that we breathe. You turn on the TV, it is there. You go outside, it is there. You go to church, it is there. It, it, it's, it's, it's the pollution of the world that we breathe that causes us to believe illusions. The other, other night I was um, watching the Michael Jackson special. I've always liked Michael Jackson. Hee-hee! <laughs> uh, you know, it's like... Uh, he, he's just, I, I don't approve of all of his uh, more recent social behaviors, his grabbing himself and things like that. But he's a good dancer, and I like his music. And, and okay, so I, I have a heart for the guy, and I felt bad about the last week's documentary, so I wanted to watch his rebuttal this week, and I thought he did a good job of defending himself for all you other Michael Jackson fans. Now, as I'm watching this, all right, we got to know, there's one other Michael Jackson fan here. I, I feel bad for the guy. Um, as, I mean, he's got $30 billion, but I feel bad for him. Um, as I'm watching this, I just noticed one minute worth of commercials. As we're watching these commercials, I, 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 I told my wife, I've got to get a pen because th- this is just eye-opening. Here's, here's the commercials. This is, and I'll just ask yourself, what, what questions, what, what presuppositions, uh, what values are being communicated in these commercials? And I'm not saying we can't watch commercials or can't watch Michael Jackson specials because you can't escape the matrix, but you've got to be aware of it. So here's the, here's the commercials. First, there was a commercial for American Idol. They call that reality TV. Uh, man, if that's reality, give me illusion. Uh, there's American Idol. And then there's this, uh, I don't like those reality TV shows. Then there's uh, another reality show called Who's Hot? Which, so far as I can see, is kind of like trying to chunk everyone down to the level of a Howard Stern. And they march these people up, mostly naked, and they comment on their bodies. Then there was a commercial for the All-American Girl, which sounds a whole lot like Who's Hot, but they troll a baton. And then, then there's a... a, 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 a um, a movie uh, called American Marriage or American Votes Marriage or something like that. I couldn't quite get that one. And that's where it's another reality TV show where they have contestants come on, they meet people, and then the public, so far as I can tell, votes on who should marry who, and that's who they marry. And then the final one was the best. It was uh, a, uh, an advertisement for a newscast that was coming on, and it was on how models are now auctioning off their eggs on the Internet to the highest bidder because everyone wants to have a model baby. Now see, what is, what is the, the message, uh, the values, uh, the message about what life is, about what reality is, about what's appropriate, about how we should think and about how we should feel? What is the message that permeates all of those commercials? 
All of that impacts us on some level, and you can't escape it. I'm not saying, you know, lock, you throw away your TV set, but we got to deal with it. But especially for young people, this is forming presuppositions about what life is, about how we should behave. And all of it, in one way or another, involves a judgment. You're not okay as you are. If you're going to be okay, you got to drink this kind of beer. You got to look sexy. You got to have breasts that look like that. You got to have a waist that looks like that. You got to have hair that looks like that. You got to have eyes that look like that. You got to wear this kind of cologne, wear these kind of shoes, these designer jeans, this kind of a shirt, drive this kind of car, uh, you know, smell a certain kind of way, we live in this kind of a house, you got to do this, you got to do that. Messages that are always telling us about what, where life is to be found, and it's all a lie. And maybe part of us through the upbringing, we, 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 however, amen, it's all a lie. And you come to the conclusion that, you're, that, that you're, you know, through the upbringing that you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not successful enough, and life is to be found in being successful and, and being pretty and being sexy and being hunky and being famous and getting this kind of a reputation and, and, and so on and so on and so on. One person I knew had got the presupposition that it's not okay never to know something. To not know something means that you're dumb. So you always have to pretend like you know something. That's, they get a neural net that's a chemical reaction. In any situation where you don't know anything, act like you do know something. And that's a very bad way to ever learn anything because unless you admit that you don't know it, you can't learn it. One of my presuppositions that I had, I, I just discovered this a couple of years ago actually, was uh, my stepmother had damaged neural nets like we all do. Uh, she came to the conclusion that uh, going through the Great Depression that playing was a waste of time. And that what life's all about is really work and kids should be workers. And so if we ever wanted to play as kids, we had to hide. We had to go into secret. I always felt guilty having a good time, you know. And I always worried that mom was going to catch us having a good time even when I wasn't doing anything wrong. Well, you see, part of the problem there is that if I've got to sneak anyways, I might as well do something wrong, you know. But anyways, um, <laughs> now see... That my programming, it fires like a neural net, is that whenever I'm enjoying myself, I'm always watching out. This is going to end pretty soon, which means you can never totally enjoy yourself. And, and uh, it worked its way in the marriage. I'd be watching TV, and if my wife is doing some work around, I'm always thinking, oh, I should be doing work. I feel like guilty. And, and especially if she walks in the room, sometimes, sometimes I'd even say, okay, what do you need? Or what's the problem? And she'd be saying, nothing. Why do you ask those kind of questions? You see, but it's not about her, it's about me. You know, I still got this mother haunting me in my brain. It's a neural net. It's a chemical reaction, you see? And this is how the enemy puts us in a vat, and it jerks us around. We believe these lives. We strive after things that aren't life. We believe things to be real that aren't real, things, things to be of value that have no value, and it keeps us in bondage. He feeds off of us as we're in this vat, as he controls the neurons because we walk, getting all the stimuli, stimuli through our bodies into our brains and draw conclusions about what life is supposed to be all about and what we're supposed to be pursuing, but it's all a lie. It's time that we take the red pill. It's time that we wake up and get out of the vat. Amen? All I have to offer you is truth, <laughs> but here's the truth. The truth is that the matrix, the schema of this world, it, 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 it's, it's the result of a schemer, and uh, uh, it's a lie. It's full of lies. It's full of lies that keep you in bondage and keeps you from living in the full reality that God wants for you. The truth is this. Whoever told you you need to be sexier uh, is lying. Now, if you want to be sexier by getting gruffy looking, that's different. But if you're living, <laughs> I'm the exception here. No. I don't need this. But 
See, if you're living thinking you need that, if you're chasing it, if, 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 that's a lie. Whoever told you that you need to be richer, it was a lie. Whoever told you that, that you're ugly or fat or stupid, it, it, that was a lie. Whoever told you that you need to be afraid of people, that was a lie. Whoever told you that playing wasn't a good thing, that was a lie. Whoever told you that you need to, be, to be, feel guilty whenever you're uh, you know, having a good time, that was a lie. Whoever told you that it's not okay to know something, that was a lie. Whoever told you to be afraid of planes or afraid of bugs, or afraid of dating or afraid of whatever. It was all a lie. We've been conditioned by lies. You, you don't need to be striving for anything. You don't, you don't need to be questing after anything. The idea that life is found in more stuff, that life is found in looking a certain way, that life is found in acting a certain way, that life is found in getting a certain kind of reputation or achieving a certain thing or accumulating a certain kind of wealth. It's all a bunch of lies. It's part of the matrix. Wake up from the illusion. Amen. The truth the truth. You want the truth? The truth, when you take the red pill, is this. Right now, as you sit here, I'm real and you're real, though a lot of what we believe about one another maybe isn't real. But here's what's real. You are right this moment loved outrageously, passionately by an outrageously loving God who created you to share in his love, who died for you to share in his love. And if there's any part of your brain that disagrees with it, that's the lie. That's part of the matrix. That's part, that's part of the garbage that you've received. You see, to the extent that we believe these lies, we are footnotes we are footnotes to someone else's design. We are, we, are, we are an extension of someone else's sickness. This is the truth about generational sin. To the extent that, that I feel guilty when I'm having a good time, I'm an extension of my mother. And to the extent that I'm mad at my mother for that, I'm still an extension of my mother. Uh, to the extent that, that uh, you are living as a victim of what uh, your brother did or what dad said or mother said or what the newscast uh, uh, gave you, we are fated. We are controlled. We're robopathic. We are defined by the chemical reactions in our brain, and we didn't choose them. They were chosen for us. We're programmed. We're being harvested. But the truth of the matter is, that you don't need to be defined by that past. You don't need to be defined by mom and dad. You don't need to be defined by past experience. You can be defined by the Lord God, creator almighty, who loved you, created you, and died for you, and his name is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. The truth of the matter is this. You are no one's slave. You were created to be freed. Now, you were born in a fallen world, and so therefore born largely under bondage and, and under captivity to lies. But you were created to be free. You were created to have infinite worth, and the Lord shows that by dying for you on the cross, paying an infinite price for you. You have infinite worth. You were created to dance. You were created to enjoy fellowship with the triune God. You were created, Jesus, say, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I've come to give you truth, and the truth shall set you free. Be free, he says. Be free. Learn how to dance. Learn how to live in truth. Let God define you. No one else define you. You are a child of God if you'll just accept it. You, 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 are, you are created and saved with infinite worth. You have a new destiny. You have a new identity in Christ Jesus. You are robed in righteousness, bought with an infinite price. Uh, uh, part of the blameless, ravishing, the heart of God, uh, bride of, of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You are no one's slave. You're a king's kid, and you are yourself a king. It's a matter of waking up to the truth, receiving the truth, walking in the truth, taking the red pill. Taking the red pill. Who's going to define you? Who's going to define you? God created us so that you, spirit being, would take control of that worldwide web of computers between your ears 
and say, you know what, I've had enough of being programmed by the, from the outside in. I'm going to be programmed now from the inside out. I know what is true. I submit to the Lord. The Lord tells me what is true, and now I take those thoughts captive. Here's what, what taking the red pill looks like. On one level, it's very, very easy. Like with Neil, you just say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go down that rabbit hole. You don't know what it's going to mean. You don't know all it's going to be involved. It's kind of like getting married. You say, I do, and you have no idea what you're doing. But, you know, we do it. The commitment comes first. But uh, on one level, it's very easy. On another level, it's extremely, extremely hard. Let me break it down into three steps. The first step is simply this. Surrender to Jesus Christ. It's a way of saying, you know what, I know that I am, uh, to a large degree, conditioned by the past in ways that are not right. Don't you have a splinter in your brain that's driving you mad? You know, I remember even when I thought, before I was a Christian, when I had things going for me, it was like, um, you know, top of the world, but it's like, you kept on saying, is this all there is? After every great achievement, you say, what, is this all there is? After the thing you've been shooting for for so long, you get it, and two days later, it's like, or maybe even right when you're getting it, is this all there is? Don't you have a gnawing sense of meaninglessness, an emptiness, a kind of a vacuum? Uh, uh, you know something, but you don't know what it is. There's got to be more to life than the physical, than what meets the eye. Death can't be the end. That's the Lord's way of saying, okay, time to trust Morpheus. You just got to trust Morpheus. What, what it is to trust Morpheus, in other words, what it is to trust Jesus Christ is this. You trust that what he says about reality is true. You trust that what he says about you is true. You trust that what he says about him is true. You trust that what he says about other people is true. You trust that what he says about life is true, even if your own brain disagrees with you. And even if you, therefore, don't feel like it's true. Because your brain and therefore your feelings are all screwed up. You've been polluted. You've been polluted by the matrix. And the only way you're ever going to get freed from the matrix is 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 if you trust someone outside of the matrix, and his name is Jesus. So you put your trust. You surrender your life to him. That's not just a theoretical belief. Yeah, I believe Jesus existed once upon a time. That doesn't do diddly squat. It's a matter of in your heart saying, I will trust my life to you. I'm going to live for you right now. I surrender to you. Which leads to a second thing, and that is this. You begin to wake up from the matrix. You wake up. You begin to see things. Now you're going down the rabbit hole. Uh, You begin to see the lies that permeate the world around you. You begin to notice that. You begin to wake up to the illusion that this world uh, is. You begin to see that you have been, and most people still are, living half awake, if that much. Walking in the slumber, just repeating the chemical reaction thoughts of what they inherited from their environment. Being controlled. You begin to wake up to that. You follow that. Follow that through. Which leads to my third point, and that is this. And here's where it gets difficult, and here's where it is so important. This is discipleship. The core of all discipleship is this. You make a decision to intentionally be transformed, metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. To be metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. So often when we think of discipleship, we think it's about do's and don'ts pertaining to behavior because that's the way we normally talk about it. Here's the behaviors that you do. Here's the behaviors that you don't. But see, you can do all the do's and don't all the don'ts and still you're basically the same person. That won't morph you. What morphs you is when you change what's behind the behavior. When, you, when, when, you're, metamor- when you're metamorphosized, Your behavior changes, but changing your behavior does not metamorphosize you. Be transformed, Paul says, by the renewing of your mind. Get a new mind. Get a new matrix. You program this one rather than just inherit it from the world. This is the ticket to freedom, and there isn't any other way to do it. 
Paul says uh, in 2 Corinthians, take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. We are, our autopilot is so strong. We think instinctively. Our brains are constantly going. Uh, we just normally don't notice it. To take every thought captive to, to Jesus Christ, to bring it into conformity, well, with Jesus Christ. He's clearly talking to you that's more than a narrow net. He's talking to you as spirit. Spirit being, you take your thoughts captive to Jesus Christ. That is very, very hard to do because the autopilot is so strong. Most people don't think about what they think. It's true, which means that for the most part, at any given moment, most of us, including me, are simply a chemical reaction that I inherited from the past. You grow out of that to the degree that you get intentional about your think. So take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. You as a spirit being, having surrendered to the Lord, you now are going to take this brain, this, this, this uh, network of computers, and you're now going to program it. You're going to take those things captive. Tired of it being programmed by the past and by the media and all of that, now you're going to program it in accordance with God's design. Paul says, whatever things are true, think on those things. Think about what you think. There won't be any significant growth in your life until you do this. Change the matrix. You got to get out of the lies and begin to walk in the truth. And at first, it takes such intentionality. Maybe the rest of our life, it takes intentionality. But the goal is to make this a new autopilot so that you're instinctively thinking this way. This is just the chemicals uh, fire uh, in, in those fashions. You form neural nets that are true in place of the ones that were false. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4 put away your former way of life, your old self. That old self. He's talking to believers here. You see, you are a new self, but you still carry the old self. Where? Well, right between your ears. Put that away. It's corrupted and diluted. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Here's what it means. Clothe yourself with a new self. Be a neo. The word means new. I'm a neo Greg Boyd. The old Greg Boyd's gone. I'm a neo-Greg Boyd, and now I just got to think like that. I got I to I change my holographic representations to be in conformity with that. Clothe yourself with a new self. Wait, what self is that? Well, it's the one that was created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness and who was not created to be in some vat with some jerk alien power moving its neurons around. I was created to live in true righteousness and holiness. And then Paul says, put away falsehood. We often define that in terms of behavior. Don't tell any lies. And it's good not to tell any lies. But far more important is stop thinking them. <laughs> stop thinking them. Put away all falsehood. Notice when your brain is telling you stuff that isn't true, you put it away and replace it with truth. Now the best way to get rid of darkness is to turn on the light. If you sit there getting mad at all the lies in your head, you're going to be mad all the time. The best thing to do is to now turn toward the truth. Paul says, think what is true. He doesn't say, you know, obsess on what is not true and try to get rid of it. No, think about what is true. And when you think about what is true, you'll confront what is false. When you turn on the light, you'll confront the darkness. So let me give us an assignment here. Let's take one biblical truth. To be renewed means you go over and over and over again. This, this is the long-term process of taking the red pill. You don't do this just once. You have to live in this. Your brain is operating with millions of thoughts every day. Try to start getting intentional about them. So here's an assignment. Let's take one truth, probably the most fundamental truth in the Bible. Let's work with that. Let's try to be intentional with it. Here's the truth. Because of Jesus Christ, you and every person you see has infinite worth. Now that's so simple, I know probably every, every believer here agrees with that. The question is, is, does it do anything in our life? And it won't until we install it, until we program it. And so I want to here give an assignment for all who will receive it. Do you want to take the red pill? 
Walk with the awareness, intentionally thinking this thought. I have infinite worth before God, and I ascribe infinite worth to every person I meet. It's simply a way of saying, I live in love. I am loved, and therefore I love. I have infinite worth. And as you do this, this is the most fundamental principle of the Bible. Our main job is, is to be re- recipients and distributors of God's outrageous love. And it has to happen in here before it can genuinely happen through our, 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 our body. So you, you affirm it in, in your mind. And as you do that, you will confront Genesis 3. You will confront the accuser in your head. You will confront the knowledge of good and evil because we perpetually and addictively and robopathically and chemically think judgments all the time about what we're not and what other people aren't. We run commentaries on that all the time, and that's what keeps us in bondage. You want to get free from the knowledge of the, of the tree of the good and evil? You want to get free from bondage? Turn on the light. Start walking in truth. Take the red pill. The truth is that right now, right here, you are, are being of infinite worth. Know that. Think that 500 times a day. And then ascribe it to other people. You may not like the way they look. You may not like the way they smell. You may not like the way they act. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Your main job in life is to ascribe infinite worth to them. That's what it means to love them. You receive it and you give it. And as you do that, you'll confront the lies that are in your mind. You see, you're forming a new network of neurons now that are in conformity with God's will rather than in disagreement with God's will. And so now you're in a position to apply God's will on earth as it is in heaven because you're applying God's will in your brain as it is in heaven. And now, Paul says, you're able to test and approve what God's will is. See how it works? It all comes together, man. All right. You're able to experience for yourself what God's will is. And it is pleasing, and it is good, and it is perfect. And just in the process of doing that, you'll confront all the unpleasing, all the non-good, all the evil, and all the imperfect stuff that's in your brain. You're flushing it out. And now you've opened up the conduits. Praise God. For the Spirit of God to begin to move through, you begin to walk in that, and now you are free. Jesus says you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Amen. This is freedom. This is freedom. This is the very, very definition of freedom. Getting out of the vat, pulling off those tubes that are controlling your neurons. Close your eyes and pray. I want to ask this question. I want to take one minute to do this because it doesn't take long. Uh, It takes just a few seconds to swallow a pill. Anybody here never taken the red pill? Step one. What I mean is, have you, is there anybody here who's never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ? That's where it starts. It has to start with a commitment. You maybe didn't understand a whole lot of what I said this morning. I, you know, it doesn't matter. Do you have a splinter in your brain that's saying, at some level you know that this is the ticket for eternal life, full life, the life that God intends you to have? Would you just stand up right where you're at? Just stand up, and I'm going to pray for you from up here. Just stand up. Anybody here? Thank you. Others. Stand up. Please stay standing because I want to pray for you from up here. And we want to join these people that are standing. Just stand up and say, you know what? I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. It's taking the red pill. Tired of living for yourself. Thank you, brother. Praise God. Thank you. Wonderful. Anybody else want to join? I'll take a few seconds more. Just stand up right where you are. It means being bold, but hey, it's scary going down the rabbit hill, but I'm here to tell you it's worth it. Just stand up right where you are. Anybody else over there? Praise God. Amen. Please stay standing for a moment. We're going to pray with you. Up there, over there, wonderful, all around the auditorium, there are people that are standing. Take the red pill. Wake up. It's going to change your life. Amen. Back there, a few more. 
Amen. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. You are standing. I want you to repeat after me. In fact, we're going to repeat with you. But don't say it as a formula. There's no magic involved here. It's about a, it's about a commitment of your heart, like in a wedding ceremony. And, and it, pray this simple prayer. And then afterwards, I want to ask you to come up and talk to this man up here. He's got some information to help you negotiate the rabbit hole, okay? Uh, there's some things you got to know about this journey that will help you get started. But pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, Father, you are my creator, you are my savior, and you are the lover of my soul. And I confess that I haven't lived for you. I am a sinner in need of your grace. But I thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. And so I now ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me, to cleanse me, to wash me, to make me new, to give me life, to live within me, and help me wake up to all the lies I've believed. I surrender my life over to you. Amen. Swallow it. You just took the red pill. Welcome to reality. Welcome to reality. Wonderful. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Those who stood up, would you please just take one minute and come up here and get some information. It really will help you in this walk. Could we all stand? And I want to close with one prayer as the prayer team comes forward. If you have any need you want to pray for, uh, you're invited to come forward here. Don't forget to turn in those uh, information uh, meeting uh, RSVPs in the back uh, when you have those filled out. Let me pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, we now ask you to bug us throughout the rest of today and throughout this week to remember, oh, it's so hard to remember who we are and who you are and what is real and what is life. We are bombarded so, so pervasively with lies. But Holy Spirit, train us, lead us, motivate us, and guide us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to think what is true, to take captive every thought, to put away the old self, to manifest the new self, the true self, who we really are. And Father, let, let, let Lord, that, that be the means by which we test and approve and experience what your will is for our life and all people. Help us to walk in the truth of the worth that we have because of your love for us. And help us to love all people in that same way. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. The altar is open. God bless you guys. Walk in truth.